Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. Debt is more than just owning money. Debt is woven into American culture from credit card companies encouraging you to spend to earn rewards to rising college tuition costs. And of course, we can't forget the American dream, taking out a mortgage and owning your own home. Our society is so eager to encourage spending money, yet nobody is talking about the crippling effects of what happens to your life when you're in debt. I'm Elisa Benson. This is Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour podcast. And today we're talking about what it's like living in debt and how to get out of it. Joining me on the panel today is Cosmopolitan.com social media manager, Caitlin Scott. Hi, Caitlin. Hi. I just realized it's kind of weird that you're hosting this episode with me because I'm your boss. <laughs> I know. I'm like, a raise. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you're here to ask for a raise. Okay, great. Approved. Done. <laughs> um, so, Caitlin, real talk question. Are you in debt? Yes. I have... I am, what, my student loans are not as bad as most people. I went to school in Iowa, and the school is a lot cheaper there. I'm from Minnesota, so my first year was out of state. But I actually found a way to get in-state tuition for my second, third, and fourth year of college. So oh, um, that was really great. And I, How did you do that? You basically had to live in, or you at least pretended to live in Iowa full time. Actually, so... I knew that I wanted to go to Iowa, and I knew that my parents were not going to be able to help me pay for college, and I looked into getting residency, which at a lot of colleges, generally, you can do. Um, I had to apply for it, and the requirements for it at Iowa were that you had to go to school half-time, so you could be part-time, and then the idea is that you use the rest of the time to work and, like, contribute to your, (laughs) the Iowa economy. Right. (laughs) So I did that. I actually worked full-time that, during that year and the rest of college, which was crazy, but um, I worked full-time and went to school half-time for a full year, but it worked out for me because I had taken college credits during high school, so I had enough that, like, filled out for that year, um, which was awesome. And I'm so happy that I did that because it cut my tuition down so much. So much. So I do have loans, but it's under 20,000 for the total. And I'm like paid off about a year of so far, like year out paying loans or whatever. So whatever that comes down to, but <laughs> that is my only, luckily my only um, source of debt. I do have a credit card, but I pay it off every month. Good that for was like you. the one piece of advice that I got from my mom that was like, I'm going to take this. <laughs> right, right, right. Do not have credit card yeah. debt. Exactly. So when you were, I mean, I also know from working with you for, since actually you were a wee little college student yes. residing in Iowa, <laughs> as, as it turns out, um, that you're obviously a super genius. But I'm just curious, <laughs> were you thinking even at the point when you were in high school and you were taking college credits and you were starting, you know, were you thinking ahead to think, this will give me more options in college or allow me to save money down the road. I know it's so weird and like not the norm, but I definitely was. I was like really, I mean, I was lucky that I always had food on the table. It's not like I ever had a moment like that was terribly poor, but my mom was a single mom growing up. And so, and I have a twin brother. So there's a couple mouths to feed. I actually lived with my grandparents and my mom growing up um, for like the majority of my childhood. And so I like definitely had a sense of like, 
how money and it how it, yeah, yeah and like how it affects your life affects your life um from a really young age so I feel like I was always kind of like had a sense that that was like really important and by the time that I was looking at colleges that was like ingrained into my head because I knew that my parents wouldn't necessarily be able to like foot the bill but I did have um a lot of support from my parents and my grandparents while I was at college like paying for little things they would like send me money for food occasionally like for groceries like my grocery bill or whatever and they would definitely help in any way that they could but it was not going to be like <laughs> paying for my entire tuition right, or whatever right like covering it all for you and now that you live in New York City which is like one of the most expensive cities <laughs> in the world don't you look back at college and think you were basically rolling in money yeah seriously and like rent and Iowa I remember thinking this was so insane I was like why do I have to pay like $350 for my room and I pay like a bazillion times that like so much more and I'm like that is was nothing like I cannot believe I just watched slash love the episode of girls where Lena Dunham's character briefly goes to school in Iowa (laughs) and they're showing her this you know she was used to living in a little shoebox in New York City and so there's this scene in Iowa where um, a real estate a broker is showing her an amazing apartment and she was like all this for $300 (laughs) and she goes what can I get for $800 and it like cuts to her in a house (laughs) seriously so yeah I don't really I know everything about it because I watched an episode of Girls. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it sounds like you were spending your whole life really preparing yourself and thinking about money. Did you feel like when you graduated and headed into the real world, did you feel like you had the tools you needed to be smart about debt and to plan? I feel the one thing that really helped me beyond just like trying to be really proactive about it was I did take a like a personal finance class in high school I was really lucky a lot of people say like they never learned that stuff and I was lucky that my high school offered something like that it wasn't um I remember that it was like an elective of sorts like you didn't have to take it right but I was happy that I did because it taught you like basic budgeting and like give you a lot of resources for if you like wanted to do something like figure out how to make your college cheaper and stuff like that so that was super helpful wait I have a dumb question what's basic budgeting (laughs) (laughs) just like like writing down things yeah or like keeping an excel doc of like your what you need and do you still do that I have I did it all throughout college yeah was like really intense about it and when I got to New York it's like I probably should do it but like I feel like I have enough of it in the back of my mind. That, to be smart. Yeah, yeah. I probably should, but, like, don't. Well, I do feel like one thing that has always felt difficult about New York, but really any expensive city, is that a lot of the budgeting advice in terms of, like, only spend this much of your salary on rent. Yes, it's, it's just different. Like, it's different here. I spend way more going out to eat than I do, than I ever did in Iowa. Right. It's very different. Right. And I feel, I mean, obviously, there are other, there's also in a big city like New York there's so many things you can do for free that right. are like fun and a lot of like entertainment just in living here so like I guess there are some like perks to it but like I feel like the conventional advice about only spending a fraction of your it's salary so different. Yeah. yeah it's just really expensive to like get an apartment here yeah that's real that is yeah and I feel like there's a lot of things I don't know about like if I wanted to like refinance my loans or whatever like right. I have like, like zero huh? idea about yeah. that um so yeah, there's some stuff that I'm like, I wish I had more knowledge of, yeah. but at least like the basics, I feel like I understand. To yeah. Shout out, shout out to your high school in that personal <laughs> finance class. <laughs> Seriously, thank God I took it. I hated it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Um, like everything in high school. But um, why, you know, I think another thing that sort of ties into this conversation around debt is that it can be so scary to 
talk about money. And I feel like especially for women. It um, really is. um, Do you feel like... I don't know. Do you feel like that has gotten better or worse as you as you as you've gotten older and you know you're really like making money in a different way? Yeah, I am like a shy person generally. Sometimes I would think, and like so, talking about money was like really hard for me to like come to terms with, and especially in terms of like your my career and asking for a raise and stuff like that. Um, I remember the best thing, though, that happened to me ever in my life was when I got hired full-time at Cosmo before um, I officially accepted the offer. I actually got coffee with someone else who was outside of the Cosmo, but, like, like outside of the Cosmo realm, but, like, still in the media industry. And they were able to, like, give me a whole new perspective about asking for more money. And I think if it weren't for that conversation, I would have gone about my first salary a really different way. Um, so I'm really happy that I did that. And ever since... Like, really having somebody who, like, was familiar with the situation that yeah. could give you really spot-on advice. Yeah, that was so helpful. And I think every little time that, I, like, a new, like, career bump has come up, it's gotten a little easier. So I feel like the more you do it, it is true. Like, and the older you get, the better you get at it. But I would say I'm... I just, like, hope that every, like, new person or, like, new, like, starting out in your career person, like asks for advice before they go into it just because I feel like it could really help yeah but I think I think that's great advice yeah. you know like find that person like whether it's a you know a friend or somebody else you're networking with who's like a little outside of your company but is familiar with the industry and can give you that advice or a sense of things yeah I always remember like this is not exactly what you're saying but I remember I used to have a friend that worked in human resources and I don't even know if this this was not human resources at any company I have ever worked for she worked at a different industry but I remember she said five thousand dollars five thousand dollars is the amount of money that I can give somebody without having to go back to my boss oh my and gosh, like ask so for interesting money. yeah so I've always thought about that when you know like at the very least you know even when you're in an entry-level position and you don't necessarily have a lot of leverage to negotiate always ask for at least five thousand dollars <laughs> seriously it's so true that's the window of, of wiggle room that you know and I don't again I don't know if that's true across the board but I felt like just hearing that made yeah. me feel like I don't know it's just like kind of good to know things like that are and there. it's crazy because like for your first job you hear like something like 30,000 and you're like wow I'm going to be rich and then right. it's very immediately clear that that is not what rich is right so <laughs> that difference between like 30 and 35 or 35 and 40 or 45 and 50 is like life-changing sometimes right. it makes a huge difference yeah. for sure so I think we should call up some of our friends that know way more about <laughs> yes. money than we do so excited need um, advice <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly let's get some advice about asking for raise how does that sound love (laughs) (laughs) our first guest was the youngest anchor ever on cnn is the host of the cw business competition series hatched and is the author of two new york times best-selling books rich bitch and boss bitch she's also the spokesperson for sofi's raise week which is happening as we speak and meant to empower young professionals to know their value in the workplace here to share her wisdom with us today is nicole appen hey nicole how are you Hey, what's up, ladies? Hey. I'm doing better now that I'm talking to you about all things money. Oh. No, who doesn't want more money? My most favorite topic. Oh, my God. I always want more money. <laughs> um, yes, please. Yes, that is what we were talking about all today, all day today in the podcast. And, Nicole, one thing I love about you is that I know you give people real advice. You like That's one, Alisa. Sorry, what? 
That's one thing you love about me? One thing. <laughs> There's so many. It's a long list. <laughs> but um, so I know you're going to give us like all the real answers on this. But um, one, just to sort of like start with, you know, nobody, obviously like we all want raises. That's the whole reason we're doing this episode of the podcast. But so few people actually ask for one. Um, what would you tell somebody who is really in debt, who has a million, you know, student loans, who's feeling desperate about money, really feels like they need a pay increase, but just doesn't know how to ask? Like, where's your starting point on advice for that person? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of fear about asking for a raise. And sometimes the biggest enemy is right between our ears. And so it's about getting over that fear and actually becoming the boss of you. If you don't treat yourself like a boss, nobody is going to. So I think it's about coming up with the idea that you are the boss of you, and that is actually portable no matter where you go. So it's small things like saying I'm sorry. I mean, it sounds so simple, but how many times do we actually say I'm sorry during the day? It's seriously bananas. Like, Mm -hmm. why are we sorry when we bump into somebody? That makes zero amounts of sense to me. Why are we sorry when we stop by our boss's office and say, hey, can I ask a question? By the way, asking for a raise is not one of those, hey, I'm sorry, by the way, don't say that. Um, Can I ask you a question? It's one of the most important conversations you're ever going to have in your career. And it's something you need to practice over and over and over again. I don't care who you practice it with. Talk to your dog, talk to the mirror, talk to a tree, whatever it is. This is not one of those things that you just wing. And another thing that's a big misconception is that you also don't deserve anything. You know, that whole idea, I'm an employer myself, that you deserve something is ridiculous. If you go in, me, 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 you will get a no, no, no Hmm. very fast. It's about showing your accomplishments vis-a-vis how that's affected the company at large. And seriously, ladies, like, come up with a whole presentation. Hmm. You don't need to go out and be all Tracy Flick from election and get this whole crazy (laughs) stack of papers. But you seriously need to come up with an agenda for what you're going to talk to your boss about, and then also charts and graphs and all sorts of good stuff talking about your accomplishments and how that's, you know, help the company at large, because you want to always put that in that lens. And you seriously come up with a lot of these types of things for other presentations that you do in business, right? So why wouldn't you do it for yourself? Uh, that's one of the biggest things that people mess up because they go in and say, like, here's why I deserve it. I have a couple of kids, blah, 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 blah. You know, listen, it's really expensive to hire. I know from hiring my own employees, it's better for me to throw you a bone versus losing you as an employee, especially if you're a good employee. The other thing you should keep in mind is to think about your overall compensation package. So you don't need to be a fancy CEO or have a bunch of employees to have a compensation package. It's not about stock options or whatever. It's, you know, thinking of yourself as somebody who has billable hours and your time is valuable. So maybe you ask, for working from home for one Friday a month. And maybe you have kids and that helps with nanny costs. Or if you have a dog, like, hello, dog walking costs are super expensive, so that helps you there. Or maybe you want to ask for more paid time off, like vacation time. Or maybe uh, you want to ask for your cell phone bill to be paid for, your transportation costs. Whatever it is, go in always thinking about a cash option, a alternative compensation option and a combination of both. And yeah, you can find a lot of these resources on SoFi's website. And so I have a question about that, especially for a lot of our listeners who might be on the younger side and are kind of just starting out and new to this. You know, I think going in and having your graphs and charts makes so much sense. And you, I think that does sometimes, you know, 
it can be you people feel so nervous about asking for money that it, they tend to think about like the way it affects them and not the way they need to like make their build their case for their employer but what if you're a new employee and you're just starting out or maybe you've only been at your job for you know a few months or you've really only had internship experiences and you don't necessarily have that track record of showing what you've done is do you have any leverage to negotiate in a situation like that Okay, well, let me pick that apart for a second. So right when you start a job, you should already start tracking your accomplishments for the company. I don't care if you were an intern or whatever somewhere else. I don't care if you went to Harvard or got an MBA. That's not what I look for when I hire myself. I want to care. I care most about how you're hustling for me. And if you're making me money, then duh, I would give you more money. So it's coming up with a track record of what you've done since the moment you've started. Because let's be serious. You have a boss and that boss has a boss. Even if you're at a publicly traded company, you have a board, you always have somebody else to report to. So your boss is also focused on her job. You know, she wants to keep her job. She's not necessarily like looking at exactly what you're doing above and beyond. And by the way, guys, like above and beyond is the new standard. I don't think that's anything special. It's just expected of you to go above and beyond. Mm -hmm. You talked about leverage. So what kind of leverage do you have? Well, the best way to get leverage is to actually have leverage. So the best way to put a fire in your current captain's belly, so to speak, is to say you're going to jump ship. Like, go out and look for another job. You know, get another offer. If somebody comes to me and said, hey, listen, I have an offer from somewhere else. By the way, the caveat here is if you suck, like, I don't care if you have leverage. But if you're really <laughs> if you suck, dope, bye. <laughs> yeah, bye, Felicia. Um, but if you're really awesome and you are going to jump ship and you have a legit offer, that is, like, the best way to get a raise, 100%. You know, you want to be above board. You don't want to be Shady McShaderson about it. Um, but honestly, having that leverage, but keeping in mind that not only leverage is going to save the day, but you have to actually kick out of your job, is whether you're a new employee or you've been there for a hundred years is the best way to position yourself for a raise or an increase in any compensation. And so what about like going even a little deeper? Cause I did kind of mention that entry level employee or someone that only has a year of work experience, but what if this is literally your first job out of college? I mean, isn't it okay. Here's a true or false, true or false. You should always negotiate a salary, even if it's entry level. True. Okay. Um, so I negotiated $500 when I was starting out my job, making $20,000 a year in small market. I started my career in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Lexington, Kentucky. You know, I paid my dues the hard way. I did not grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. I grew up in a super broken home, first-generation American, um, barely had food in my mouth growing up, much less a silver spoon or no connection. So I had to figure it out the hard way. And I would say, if I could do this stuff, anyone can do it. Mm. Here's the thing. You know, we don't learn this stuff in school. I don't understand why we learn the Pythagorean theorem. Uh, if some viewer can let me know, that would be awesome sauce. Uh, I don't know why we learn how to dissect a frog. No idea. Why don't we learn how to negotiate a raise? Or why don't we learn how to do a budget or to do our taxes? That would be way more valuable. So yeah, when I was starting out, you know, I was making nada and I was eating uh, brown rice and beans basically every day because that felt fancier to me than ramen um, and you know I was just there there was a story 
of a, a Yelp employee. Do you guys remember this? It was um, a couple of years ago, and she wrote this open letter to the CEO, and it was an entry-level position, I believe. And she said, you know, I live in San Francisco with a bunch of roommates. Like, I don't deserve yes. this, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I don't know what you guys thought about it, but I thought that was ridiculous. Like, right. I'm sorry, cry me a river. You're living in San Francisco with a couple of roommates and you're just starting out. Like, we've all been there. And by the way, figuring out what it's like at rock bottom or from the bottom makes the view so much better when you get to the top. Right. I appreciate it so much more now. Right, right, right. So basically, no. And by that- the way, no, the last thing I'll say, and by the way, I'm just as hungry as I was, not literally, um, <laughs> but figuratively, um, when I was making 21 grand a year. Yeah. Yeah. So basically know that part of playing the game is paying your dues and you're going to start off with a small salary. But like, yes, you should still negotiate, even if it's only to get yourself 500 more dollars. Yeah, it's 500 more dollars or it's getting your, you know, getting a transportation stipend or something like that. Again, as an employer myself, I can tell you from both sides, from negotiating in bigger companies to negotiating with employees who are asking me for stuff, I can tell you that a lot of that stuff is tax deductible for me. It's no sweat for me to pay some of these expenses for my employees. And if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Right, right, right. So one thing, I th- I'm kind of peeling away from everything you're saying that basically you don't need, you should never give your personal sob story to your boss. Like they don't need to hear it. Keep things professional. Focus on your work and how much money you're saving your employer, et cetera, et cetera. But again, the whole topic that we're talking about in this episode today is about debt. And that is such an anxiety for a lot of recent grads who, I mean, are tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And you know, feel like they're going to spend the rest of their lives paying off their student loans. Do you have any recommendation for recommendations for someone in that position that feels a little overwhelmed by this amount of debt? Yeah, debt is the only four-letter word I don't like, um, by the way. And yeah, look, as far as a sob story, by the way, ladies, like, I have more issues than Cosmo. Like, <laughs> we got issues for days. And the first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. That's why both Rich Bitch, my first book, and my second book, Boss Bitch, are 12-step plans. That is not an accident. The first step is admitting you have a problem. And it's cool. We all got problems. You know, again, debt negotiating rates, not stuff we learn in school, but that's no excuse to bury your head in the sand. As I said, if I could do it, I was the most clueless girl about money. I just went to the school of hard knocks and I figured it out the hard way. And that's why I want to tell my former self and all y'all how to do it in the real way that, you know, I figured it out. I messed up so many times along the way. In both my books, I talk about all my failure stories, all the ways I fucked up because that's actually more instructive than the success stories. Like I would rather read a book Uh, a cookbook uh, from, uh, you know, not a pastry chef of how the ways you can mess up a cake versus how some like Michelin star chef made a perfect cake because I'm never going to do that. And that's okay. We have to be a little bit easier on ourselves. I mean, lean back. I would tell that girl who was just starting out, graduating from college, by the way, I worked and studied full time. So I had no life, but I don't have one either now. So (laughs) I digress. I'm a super big nerd, but whatever. I rewrote a financial dictionary in both of my books. That's just who I am. (laughs) So, you know, I would tell her to chill a little bit, not be so hard on herself, lean back a little bit. And when it comes to debt, like, by the way, prioritize to pulverize. I think not all debt is created equal. You can't think that I just got a bill from a student loan for like a hundred bucks and I have a hundred bucks. So I'm just going to rip that up and it's going to feel so cathartic. And I'm just going to get rid of one of these stupid bills that I get. <laughs> that is not the smart way to do it. That is not the boss bitch way. Um, what's better is if you look at 
prioritizing your credit card debt first. So that's the highest interest rate. Then it that goes will eat you alive. That will eat you alive. I hate it. Compounding interest is like my best friend ever when it works in your favor when you're using it um, in, when you're reaping the rewards from investments. But when it works against you with credit card debt, it's the worst ever. It compounds like nobody's business. And then if you have a car loan, which I don't think you should have a car loan, um, but I digress. I think you should buy used cars cheap and then run the jalopies into the ground. But (laughs) if you do have a car loan, that's the second thing you should be paying off um, because that's a depreciating asset. And the third thing is if you have a mortgage, which again, I have my issues with mortgages. You can read my whole spiel about that in my first book. But I know we're talking about raises now. And the last thing is student debt. Because, look, creditors can take away your house. They can take away your car. But they cannot take away your brain. So Mm -hmm. just keep that in mind. And then keep in mind the idea that slow and steady wins the race when it comes to student debt. So if you ramp up more than you can chew, creditors are going to expect you to keep up with that repayment um, pace. And if you can't, that's going to hurt you more than if you just kept it slow and steady, even when you do get a raise. So don't almost don't feel that desperation to feel like you need to pay it off because it's better to just put yourself on a schedule that you can stick to. In general, don't feel desperate because that is not a good feeling. I think you honestly have to change your mindset. I know this sounds like hippy-dippy, hokey stuff, and your finances will follow. If you come to them from a place of deprivation and desperation, as you said, versus aspiration, that's where it's really going to mess you up. There are a lot of, you know, diet books. You guys probably cover this all the time. It's like, think thin to be thin. Well, that's bullshit. You know, go (laughs) get your ass to the gym and, like, you know, diet. But when it comes to finances, really, like, as I said in the beginning, sometimes the biggest enemy is between our ears. This is not crazy hard stuff to do. We have figured out harder stuff to do. It's the fear to just get over it. You know, the the math that you need to get your financial life together, a fifth grader can do. It's not the math part. It's not the numbers part. It's the humanities part. It's the relationships part. It's talking about money. It's being scared to open up about your salary. Uh, I, I tell you all my salaries in in my book, Boss Bitch. Like, I literally, I show you mine if you show me yours. As long as we start talking about money, I tell you the $21,000 a year, I tell you what I made for my book advance. Like, I just, zero fucks are given. So, somebody had to do it. I mean, look, if I went to dinner with you ladies, which I hope you'll invite me to dinner, even yes. though I talked your brain off about <laughs> money and stuff. Like, we will talk about everything at the dinner table before we talk about money or salaries, right? So, I'll be like, hey, Caitlin, like, tell me about your bikini wax or whatever. Or like, tell me about that guy's dick and how long it was. You will totally tell me that, right? But then when I say like, you know, what do you make? It's cricket. What is that? Like, I'm like, girl, you just told me about your hoo-ha. Like, why are you not telling me what's in your bank account or how much money you're making? That needs to stop wait but i have i have a question i'm a little scared to even try to have a counter opinion because i already know you're gonna win but (laughs) i would say like i totally hear where you're coming from and i think that has become very popular for women you know talk about your salaries we need to be more comfortable talking about money it's holding us back however it can create real feelings of awkwardness to talk about these things. And I would say, especially with coworkers. And I think that that can be frowned upon by a lot of bosses. Like how, what is the sort of line between yes, having this conversation about money and knowing what our worth is and having real conversations helps us figure it out, but also putting yourself in a situation where your boss is going to be pissed that you blabbed about your salary or whatever, whatever. 
Yeah, I get that. Like, you're not going to take to social media. But if we are going out to dinner and, you know, we all work in different industries, you know, I work in um, whatever on TV, you guys work in magazines, we have a friend that's a teacher, we have, you know, whatever it is, I think it's about also figuring out folks that are outside of your little niche. And that also gives you good perspective as well. And you know what? If it feels like a competition among girlfriends, that's like on you. That's your own issue. Like if you're a teacher and you're making less money, but you're stoked and happy, like you're not valuing yourself based on money. So if I tell you that I make more money than you or less money or whatever, like, and you're pissed about it, like I'm not, I can't spend my brain it's not juice, your problem. Yeah. you know, yeah, focusing on why you're sad about it and, you know, just put on your big girl undies and this is the way that we're going to, you know, take control of it. You have to talk about it. If you're not talking about it, you're just eating your heart out and you're not making any progress. All right, fine. You win. You win, Nicole. <laughs> By the way, we can both win. We That's why we have win. this dialogue about it. Yes, uh, absolutely. At least we're talking about it. Absolutely. Um, do you have favorite resources for creating a budget? Are you generally, you're very, very pro-budget. What is the best way to do it for someone that's like never, ever tried to keep any kind of budget before? Oh, my God. Budgeting sucks. Uh, Great. But so does being being broke. Yeah. Being broke sucks even more. Um, So I break down budget. I keep it super old school. And um, I literally, like, write it out or put it on my computer um, in, like, an old school way. I don't use a lot of the apps. Um, That's me. Like, you can use a pink colored pencil and write it on paper. I don't care. You can use whatever apps you want. There are a bunch of amazing ones. Um, but you break it down into the three E's. Um, I love alliteration. So um, <laughs> extras, end game, and essentials. And so essentials is all the stuff you need to live on every single day. So your rent, your transportation, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's 70% of your overall budget. And then 15%, no more than 15% should go to the extras. And that's all the fun stuff. Like, I'm not going to tell you ladies how to have fun. You sound like fun ladies. You got this. <laughs> so whatever does it for you, whether it's like your yoga class or Manny Petty, I don't care. You're a latte. Cool. And then 15% should go to the end game. So that's all your future self. So you're um, you know, you're saving, your retirement, you're going to Mexico, I don't care what you do, but just use 15%, um, at least 15% toward that. And when I say allow yourself for the extras, there are a lot of financial experts, so to speak, that will tell you don't buy a morning latte. Don't buy a morning latte, buy a house, you'll be in financial freedom. That's ridiculous to me. A financial diet is a lot like a regular diet. If you allow yourself small indulgences, you won't end up binging later on. Like, hello, Captain Obvious. If you give yourself a Hershey's kiss, you're not going to end up binging on a big old hunk of chocolate cake in the middle of the night. Hello, I've been there. We've all been there. You know, because you're so hungry and so deprived. So allow yourself, like, account for those extras. You're going to do it anyway. If you say to me, like, in the beginning of the year, Hey, Lappin, I'm going to cut all this stuff out, cold turkey. That's so amazing. Well, guess what? By the time May rolls around, you just bought a pair of Louboutins. Like, because you were so hungry. You were like, oh, my God, I didn't buy a latte every single day. Like, it was so good. So I just had, I couldn't take it anymore. I needed to binge on something. So it's better to just account for that in a smart way. That, I feel like that is so real. I'm never going to give up my daily latte habit. But yeah. it's also a habit that you I know. feel like I've earned. It wasn't, I was definitely drinking the like disgusting free office coffee when I was like a little baby, 21 year old. And now I've graduated to, you know, <laughs> Starbucks. <laughs> 
So, you know. Yeah. I, no, I mean, look, if it's not Starbucks, it's like, again, that yoga class or whatever it is. Right. It's that small indulgence. It's just going to keep you happy. And again, think of yourself as someone who has billable hours. Your time is valuable. Um, you know, if you spend 30 minutes fussing with the filter and you burn your hand, then you're not going to be productive. Right. If you get to work earlier with a pep in your step, maybe you'll make, you know, more than some financial experts will say you save by skipping the morning latte of like $2,500, they estimate. So like invest in yourself. That's the best investment you can possibly make. And by the way, if you don't know like how much that is around 15%, it's probably good to get a prepaid card or take it out in cash because when that's done, the party is over. Mm. And a lot of the fun time happens when we're drunk, right? Swipe, sure swipe, does. Swipe. <laughs> you just estimate. Like guesstimating is not helpful to budgeting. So, so be realistic go. and make a plan. Boom! Drop the mic. So, Rich Pitch is such a great resource for being smart about your finances. What can you tell us about Boss Pitch? Well, um, it's a twelve-step plan to take charge of your career. So, it's about being the boss of you. It's divided into three sections: being the boss of you, being the boss within a bigger company. Um, so, you guys are entrepreneurial, obviously, within Cosmopolitan and within Hearst. Um, and then it's about um, being the boss of your own business. And for women in particular, we go through a lot of these different stages in our lives. So we can go from working for somebody else, which I did. I worked for big, mighty companies, to working for myself. And then maybe if somebody wants to knock me up, I will be the CEO of my own household. I don't know. I'll take time off to be a mompreneur. Hmm. Um, and then maybe I could go off and like work for somebody else. Or maybe I can start another business. Or maybe I could start an Etsy shop. So I really think this idea of you know, working up this career ladder is ridiculous. Um, you, it, a career well had, I think these days, is more like a rope swing than a career ladder anyway. And <laughs> the view is, it's way more fun to hang out on a rope swing, and the view is way better. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you me. are hilarious and, like I promised, <laughs> delivered, right, delivered only real talk. Um, where is the best place for people to follow you if they want more of your brilliant advice? Oh, you're so sweet. Um, follow me all the places. Um, <laughs> at Nicole Lappin is all the socials, and uh, we really try to answer. I, I say we because I'm, I wouldn't lie to you. You know, I never would. I don't answer all of them, but I have a cool team that helps, like, answer all individual questions. So bring it on. Yeah, that's, like, perks of being a boss bitch. You have people that, that yeah. help you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I know what I don't know. If I'm the smartest person in any room, I'm in the wrong room. And I don't know how to do a lot of things, but I know how to find folks who know how to do them way better. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. It was great chatting. Ladies. All right. Bye. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. I wanted to share with you all today a new product that has really helped me lately with reducing the appearance of a scar on my skin. The number one doctor and pharmacist recommended brand, Mederma. Mederma Advanced Scar Gel is the only one-time-per-day scar care product that is clinically shown to reduce the appearance of scars, making the product cost-effective and convenient. Other scar care products may appear cost-effective at first, but they must be applied multiple times per day, which basically defeats the purpose of saving money and time. Plus, their new Mederma Quick Dry Oil is a brand new formulation on the market, and it helps improve the appearance of skin, scars, and stretch marks. It is multi-purpose. It serves several functions, as you can use it for scars and stretch marks, as well as keeping your skin hydrated. 
It's great to use on skin imperfections, but you can also use it daily as part of your skincare routine, which I do every morning. So go grab Mederma today. You can find it in the first aid aisle of any major retailer. Just because I love these products so much, I'll say them again. That is Mederma Advanced Scar Gel and their awesome new product, Mederma Quick Dry Oil. Grab Mederma from the first aid aisle today. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. Our next guest is living with over $100,000 in debt, from student loans to credit card bills to car payments. She puts nearly $1,000 a month toward paying off her debt and works two jobs to do so. Here to share with us her story is Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Hello. Hello. So you're in a lot of debt. $100,000 is a lot of debt. How, How did that, like, what is the short story on how that happened? Um, I went to a private school in California for a year, um, and then that'll do it. <laughs> that'll do it. I transferred to an out-of-state school, um, and I was in school for five years, paying out-of-state tuition. Um, and then I actually lived off of my credit card for a couple of months when I moved from California to Rhode Island two years ago. Um, and then obviously, I need a car to get to work to pay for all of the debt that I've accumulated. So. Um, that's the short story that's, of all of my debt. And tell us about how, you know, was there a point in time where it really started to feel like this is accumulating faster than I can control it? Like, was there kind of a moment where it felt like, you know, a lot of people have student loans. Was there a point where this really started to feel, um, overwhelming for you? Um, I think that happened um, shortly after I graduated. Um, you have a, we've got a six month deferment for most of my loans, um, and that's pretty standard for everyone. But as the six months uh, was ending, I kind of was like, oh, I need to figure out how I'm gonna pay for all of this. So I'm on a couple of different payment plans as far as my student loans go. Um, the credit cards were more recent. That was um, maybe a few months ago, actually. I really started looking into how I could get some stuff paid off. I have paid off one student loan so far. It was a pretty small one, um, but that really helped Good motivate for you. me to... Thank you. That really helped motivate me to fast-track um, getting out of debt as much as possible. And are you, what kind of resources are you using to help sort of dig yourself out of this? Um, I kind of, well, I haven't taken any like finance, personal finance classes at all. I'm pretty much self-taught as far as that goes. Um, I have created, I'm on Pinterest as most of the population is these days. (laughs) Um, And I actually found... Um, quite a few people making budget binders. I've actually created my own um, to make it work for me. Um, I'm starting to to use it more often to keep track of paying, um, what payments I make, how much, what days, all of that stuff. Um, and then I get paid weekly from both of my jobs, so I kind of do um, a paycheck budget rather than a monthly budget. Oh, and we were just we were just talking to a financial expert on the phone right before we called you and she was talking about that typical budgeting advice in terms of like what percentage should go to your living expenses, what percentage is sort of like your fun money and what percentage (coughs) you should save. Are you strict with yourself 
about like budgeting your money in that kind of way? No, I actually, I just look at um, the things that I know that are fixed um, amounts. I, um, I make it a point to just set aside at least the minimum for those. And then I kind of just go by ear um, on everything else. Uh, my fiance and I um, split the like our groceries and our utilities and stuff, but I don't really um, categorize on percentages at all. Okay. And one thing we were also talking about in our last phone call is that, you know, you hear a lot of advice out there from money experts about like cutting out the daily latte or sort of changing your habits. But like the the reality is that can be so hard to do for those habits. What kind of sacrifices have you made or like what ways have you found to be effective in terms of like managing the debt you're in and managing your finances? Um, One of the big things, I mean, my time is a big sacrifice because I do work two jobs. I work anywhere from 55 to 65 hours a week. Um, and my fiance works two jobs as well. So we don't get a lot of time just to, to spend together. Um, and because I have so much debt and so much of my money is going towards all of that, um, we're actually take, this is the right now we're on, um, vacation, but this is the first vacation we've taken in two years. Um, Good for and you. Where are you? We are in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Ooh, oh my gosh! Fun. I just realized how terrible it is that you're. This is your first vacation that um, you've taken Calling in two in. years, and I'm making you call in to talk about money. <laughs> oh, don't even worry about it. It's totally fine. Um, we're kind of just hanging out right now. We drove down from Rhode Island, so um, we're just taking it easy today. <laughs> and so you're uh, in, you're engaged. You live in Rhode Island. Your family is in California. How has your debt affected your family and your wedding planning? Um, so wedding planning, I know most people usually 18 months out from getting engaged is usually when they'll have a wedding. Um, we're waiting almost two and a half years um, before we have our wedding um, just so we can save money. We can uh, figure out exactly what we want and the way to go about that with saving as much money as possible because you put wedding in front of anything and the price goes up so much. It's ridiculous. Um, And then as far as my family, um, my mom actually also has parent loans from my education. Mm so she's uh, she's pretty strapped as far as money goes. But every like, if my parents are ever able to help me out, they absolutely send money if they're able to. Um, my parents are really great about that. They know that I work hard. Um, I always have. Um, it's just student loans and college is insanely unaffordable for most people these days. It's insane. Do you have yeah. a Do you have a date for your from your budget binder and from all your planning? Do you have a target date for when you're hoping to be finished paying all of this off? I don't actually, um, just because there's so much and life is crazy. Um, so much can happen even in just like six short months. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have a date as far as all of my loans, um, credit cards. I'd like to be done in the next two years, um, which sounds like a really long time, but um, that's, I think, a realistic goal at this point for my credit cards to be done in two years. 
So I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that. (laughs) And if you could go back and give yourself advice before you started accumulating debt, what would you say? Um, I would tell myself to save because I had a job um, right after high school, my first year of college. I had a, a pretty good job working at a grocery store in California. And just in like six, seven months, I made almost $10,000 working there. Um, And I had nothing to show for it because I spent, I don't even know what I spent the money on, but you know, I'm 18 years old. I have a job. I have money for the first time and I don't even know. So saving. And then um, my second one would be to look into scholarships for college. Um, I had really good grades. I was active um, in sports in school, so I'm sure I could have gotten something. Um, I just didn't take the time to look for it. I'm the first generation to go to college, um, so I didn't know about a lot of that stuff when I was applying to college. Yeah, and it because there are like loan structures in place, I think it's easy to sort of feel like someone else is like looking out for you, and then you yeah. sort of graduate and you realize that was a bit not the case and all of a sudden absolutely yeah and it's hard to start your life when you feel like you're already have this huge weight on your shoulders and especially like you said which I think can be common for a lot of people too if you're you know you have loans in your name your parents also have loans it can accumulate really fast yes um and then my fiance and I just got a roommate so um, that'll cut down on our living expenses. I'll be able to put a little bit more towards my credit cards um, and eventually my student loans. So hopefully I'll get those knocked out uh, fairly quickly. That's great. Good for you. Well, Stephanie, good luck to you. You're. It sounds like you have a lot of things in place that you're doing to sort of slowly chip away at that. So let us, let us know when, it, when it's all done and you can come back on the podcast and talk about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye, Stephanie. Bye. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. So many of my friends have adorable pups for pets, and I have learned quickly that the way to their hearts is a happy, adorable dog. That is why I love BarkBox so much. It's basically a monthly subscription box that is filled with yummy dog treats and toys that they will love. Each month has a hilariously adorable new theme, like BarkBall, Poo York City, and Brooklyn Hipster. I signed up my little sister for a Bark Box for her birthday because she is completely obsessed with her fur baby Starbucks, and she was absolutely obsessed with it. This is a great way for dog owners to try a variety of treats and toys from local and small businesses you wouldn't normally know about. And there are even more great benefits from Bark Box. It's shipped directly to your door, all edibles are made in the U.S. and Canada, and they will replace any items your dog doesn't like totally free. To get an extra premium toy for free added to your BarkBox every month, visit BarkBox.com Cosmo. When you subscribe to a 6 to 12 month plan and then select Yes Please when asked Have a Playful Pup. So give the gift that keeps on giving with a BarkBox subscription box. Your furry friend is sure to thank you. Again, that's BarkBox.com Cosmo. For a free extra premium toy with a 6 or 12 month subscription plan, sign up for BarkBox. Your furry friend will love it. You're listening to the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. Our next guest accumulated over $20,000 in debt over a three-year period that included job layoffs, moving expenses, and more. But she literally just paid off the last set of her debt last month and is on the line to share how she did it. Welcome, Ashley. Hi, Ashley. 
Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. Yeah, $20,000 <laughs> in debt. Um so tell us tell us how you got into debt. Let's start let's start with the bad stuff. Uh, yeah. So, um I was not originally in debt aside from student loans before um everything started going crazy in my life 3 years ago, but um, I had a couple of job layoffs, as your intro said, and um, I ha- ended up moving to Dallas, and then my job ended up short, and then I moved back to L.A. So within that time period, I had uh, I was unemployed for a year prior to that, so I had no savings, and I had no choice but to go onto the credit card to afford everything for the move. So it did accumulate into that much money for just to keep myself moving from job to job. So it was pretty crazy. And so so basically all of your expenses came from from moving and from having to put everything on your credit card when you were unemployed. That's correct. I would say um, most over half of it was specific to the actual moving, but then the rest of it was just trying to stay on top of my bills to pay everything else off. So everything from like food and gas and a bunch of other items that, you know, car, especially the car payment. Um, my car broke down however many times, I don't even know, in the last year. <laughs> so all of that accumulated to that much money. So, yeah. And so when you were, you know, doing something like a move, which can cost like thousands and thousands of dollars, everyone who's ever moved knows how annoying and expensive it can be. Yeah. You know, was the justification for that at this point in time where you basically had no money and you were living off your credit cards, was the justification, you know, this move will be worth it because it's going to help my career or, you know, how did you sort of psychologically keep pulling out the credit card to acquire these expenses? No, that's a great question. For me, it was um, career-based opportunity. I knew like if I was moving to um, the city for this job, then it was for a career move. And I was hoping, okay, then I can get back on track to having a regular paycheck and income to be able to pay off the move. So for me, it was always a temporary situation. I had no intention of just putting on the credit card and then just letting it go for a few years and then remembering that I was going to and have to pay for it later. I've always been a saver and I grew up knowing how to handle money, but I didn't have the resources to afford the life changes that came my way. So I knew going into it that I would really have to work hard to, um, in my career to do overtime to pay off the move. So then when actually the jobs didn't work out and then I had to move a couple times again, it just, I had to keep telling myself, I will get out of this. This wasn't the plan, but I really had to adjust and trust myself and making sure that I was committed to it. And did it, you know, every time you ran your credit card on something or every sort of new setback or every time your car broke down, you know, was that like <laughs> horrible every single time or do you almost deal with yeah. it by just being like, well, I'm so much in debt at this point that like who even cares about another drop in the bucket? Like I think uh, and I'm asking because I think it's you know, I think once people have a lot of debt, it's almost mm-hmm. like you deal with it by sort of becoming a little bit blind to it. You do. Oh, man. Everything you just said completely resonated with me. There was so much of this, like, well, what's another 10 bucks or what's another 1000 bucks towards this whole thing? Like, I'm not going to get out of it anyway. There's so many moments where I just wanted to, like, throw in the towel and say give up because I felt like for every step forward, I was making really good progress. I had momentum on my side. Then, you know, say the car broke down and then the threw me back three to four months of work and it just like it just completely destroys your momentum and kind of your hope for a little bit but then I realized at the same time that no 
one else going to do this for me except mm. myself. And so it became, this is not a community gathering where they're all going to pitch in money and help me get out of it. There, there's everyone, almost everyone you meet is in debt in some way. So why is my story any different than anyone else? Like I have to pick myself up and do it. But there's so many ugly cries during this process. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's so many awful nights and just things where I felt like I had no life. Like, oh, why was I working two jobs? I was there working so many hours. I was just going to fall behind. But then I realized it wasn't necessarily about, you know, what happened in that day, but it was the overall journey. And it was the fact that I was building momentum to slowly pay it back. So even if my credit card had stayed at the same amount for like five months in terms of the balance, it wasn't that I was moving backwards because I wasn't losing more money on it. I was actually still paying it off. It just didn't look like I was gaining anything on the balance. Um, But I actually wasn't moving as far backwards as it had appeared to myself. But there were many times where I just, you felt like there was, why would you do this? Like if you're making such little money and you have to pay this off, why would you try and do it and just not give up? (laughs) It was very difficult. (laughs) And so you mentioned having multiple jobs. Were there other sacrifices that you made to pay off your debt? And I'm I'm partly asking because I think we were talking earlier in the episode about how a lot of financial experts will say, like, cut out your daily latte and whatever. But sometimes, yeah, yeah, sometimes what's realistic is that those are actually the hardest things to change by your routine. (laughs) That's so true. Um, I am a big uh, ice cream person. (laughs) So for me, it was... I feel you, girl. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I didn't want to give up my ice cream instead of coffee days. Um, But what I ended up realizing was, like I said, I'm the only one who's going to get me out of this. But luckily, I saw getting a second job as an opportunity rather than a hindrance, even though it was tough to balance my full-time career job with a side job. Um, Since I was in a new city and I didn't know anybody, the only way I could get to know people was if I actually had a second job where I was around other people. So for me, it it did offer a way to meet uh, meet others. I might as well get paid to do that, but that's not necessarily everyone else's um, motivation to do it. So for me, I pretty much stripped every uh, social activity off my calendar for like mm. the last 18 months and that's really hard like I hadn't seen a movie in two years aside from the two or three friends that bought my ticket or I haven't seen um, or gone out like I said for ice cream after my dad I finally bought ice cream for the first time and it's like I mm-hmm. still did those um, throughout my two years or like 20 months of doing this but I was so guilty about it because I knew that that was going to be a set amount of hours of work to pay it off so it never came as like a freeing um you know, opportunity for me to do those. Um, but it definitely was. I paid off. I was working two jobs. I picked up babysitting jobs where I could. I picked up freelance jobs where I could. I picked up, you know, random, um, like, I'll help volunteer uh, for this person so that they can hire me for another gig later or whatever it was. I was a waitress in um, one of the cities, and then I was trying to be a freelance bartender in another to um I was like, I had so many random jobs. Um, I've been trying to sell some stuff and tried selling a lot of my furniture in return, too. So I still haven't bought myself a bed. I'm still sleeping on the floor with my mattress and box spring. <laughs> but, you know, those are steps that I look forward to doing now that this is all done. So, right. First ice cream, um, next to, next to box spring. <laughs> priorities, right? <laughs> and, and so, Ashley, it sounds like you were being really strict with yourself about in terms of, like, not even really more than a few times it sounds like even buying something like an ice cream cone or going to the movies what about things that came up like I feel like this is such a common thing in girl world Mm -hmm. what about getting an invite to a wedding and that comes along with a bachelorette party and a bridal shower did you say no to things like that or how did you factor things like that into your budget 
Those were so difficult to, because especially friends and family are so important to me. I would hate to miss out on those opportunities, but I would do things like instead of staying at the hotel, I would try and find a cheap Airbnb somewhere else. Or um, for specific wedding gifts, I, I told, this might be really tacky, but it was where I was, but I told my friends who were getting married that I'll follow up when I'm out of debt to get your wedding gift. So I still owe my best friend from high school her wedding gift. <laughs> like, so I know that I had to do it. Those are the sacrifices I had to make now that I'm getting out of that mentality of being super strict, I can actually enjoy being able to give back. And that was the whole point is that, um, yeah, you're supposed to be strict, but you don't want to miss out on a big moment. So I found moments where I could attend events so I didn't have to spend money on the events. Weddings are hard, so instead of buying like a big dress, I actually either borrowed a friend's dress or I rented one um, or I did, you know, different types of clothing opportunities from like, say, a Stitch Fix box or Rent the Runway. I tried finding other alternatives that were there that didn't allow me to spend the most amount of money that I was expected to spend. Um, another big thing for me was I'm really active in terms of health and wellness, and I haven't been to a gym now in two years. And so I had to learn to like use what I had, which was outside, that's for free, or use my living room. So use YouTube videos to work out instead of going to a gym. And so you have, just have to still adjust your lifestyle, but you can still maintain your main interests. And if you could go back, would you do anything differently with how you handled your money? Um, yeah, I, I'm proud that I was very strict. I think the hardest thing for me was going to work events where, like, you're supposed to go out to work, uh, lunch with your coworkers because you don't want to look like you're not with your team that you work with, but you also don't want to look like you're not being paid well enough to afford to go. <laughs> right. So that was always really tricky. So I would just indulge in those moments and be like, okay, no, this is just part of, this is part of it. Um, so I probably would have allowed myself to enjoy a few more meals than I did. Um, but I would just buy like appetizers versus a full meal. So I tried to keep it pretty small, but in terms of other things that I would change, um, I would probably say, don't be so hard on myself in terms of when I did get stepped back. I remember when my car broke down, I got the estimate for how much it would cost. I just broke down at work crying. <laughs> I, was like, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Um, but I think that I, I did the best that I could handle it. So personally, I don't have any regrets other than um, if I knew how long this was going to take, that I probably would have saved a bit more or a few years before going into this. So even if it, I mean, I used to be really good with money, but the idea of budgeting and the idea of saving just a little bit per paycheck is always good for a rainy day. I probably would have been a lot more serious about that. Yeah, and you always hear that save for a rainy day advice, but I think your situation illustrates exactly, you know, moving for a job that ends up not panning out. You know, all of a sudden, you know, something that you felt like was worth the cost of moving, all of a sudden you can find yourself in in a tricky situation. But you did an amazing job of getting out of it, Ashley. Your story is so inspiring. (laughs) And thank you for sharing all of your um, tips and advice about it along the way. Thanks so much. You're so welcome. Have a good day, guys. You too. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. So, Caitlin, do you feel like you have left this episode understanding exactly how to deal with all of your debt and getting advice for your future career life? I actually, I feel really like way more prepared now than I ever did come yeah. to this meeting. I'm like, now I need to go home and like yeah. <laughs> redo my life. Right. Make an Excel sh- spreadsheet. <laughs> um, I have to say, we talked to so many amazing guests today in the podcast and like shout out to all these women for coming and talking about this stuff, which can be so hard. But I have to say, I was really inspired by Ashley. Girl was really finding some creative ways to keep herself on budget. And, you know, even her talking about, um, you know, taking every extra babysitting gig and, you know, sort of 
telling her best friend from high school that she couldn't get her a wedding present yet. Like, those are hard things to do. And she basically said she didn't have a social life for years, but then she managed to pay off her $20,000 in debt. So good for her. And as we learned from Nicole, that credit card debt is the worst kind of debt to have. Yes. So that made me really... Always pay it off. Yeah, that made me, like, real nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh. (laughs) Right, exactly. I'm like, cancel that, like, giant order of clothes that I wanted to get for my trip to Portugal (laughs) coming up, which is basically already going to put me in debt. But, um... But, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining and for sharing your own debt journey with <laughs> us today. Um, do you want to shout out your Twitter handle so all of our listeners can follow you? Yes, I sure do. It's Caitlin Scott, spelled super weird, buckle up, C-A-I-T-L-Y-N-N-S-C-O-T-T, pretty sure. And I feel, right, I feel like it's only worth pointing out that that's only super weird because that's just, like, not even remotely how you actually no, spell your name. No, it's not, yeah. But too many but Caitlin Scotts in the world. everyone is named Caitlin. Uh-huh. Caitlin Scott specifically. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everyone everyone is those of you listening out there are probably named Caitlin yeah. Scott all of you hey girl <laughs> shout out to all the Caitlin Scotts um, and as always thank you all for listening and to tuning in to another episode of the Cosmopolitan.com happy hour podcast you can always find me at Elisa Benson E-L-I-S-A-B-E-N-S-O-N the only one in the world I think I hope I don't know <laughs> so I don't unique know. so unique <laughs> um, but as always let me know what you want to hear us talk about next on the Cosmo podcast um, and as always thank you for listening and subscribing and sharing and doing all those podcasty things i'll see you guys next week and caitlin i'll see you in like tomorrow yeah basically (laughs) all right bye guys bye such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. You fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.